If you would open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in the second chapter of the book of Acts. As we are continuing a sermon series that is called Devoted. As a, as a young church in the city of Paris, we're looking at this young church. We're looking at this young church in the city of Jerusalem that was formed somewhere around the year 33 AD. It, it would have been right after Pentecost. And, and we're looking at the influence of this early church and the influence that that church has had on many generations, on all generations since that very first church was formed. The church in Jerusalem at that time, it would have looked very similar to our church, and that's very much intentional because it is a model for many other churches. But you would have seen this congregation 2,000 years ago, and you would have seen people from different nations. And I think if you look around our congregation today, you can see people here from different nations. The church in Jerusalem that started would have had people that would have spoken different languages. And I know we have people here today who are fluent in other languages. That first church, a little over 2,000 years ago, it wasn't started in a massive, beautiful cathedral with paintings and with stained glass. It wasn't a church that was started in a place that had like a 30-acre campus and, and, and basketball courts. It, it wasn't, they didn't have a nice worship band. They didn't have like a thousand places to park donkeys outside. <laughs> they didn't have spotlights or, or huge budgets or amazing comfortable seating. As a matter of fact, our church here probably would have been a place that, that Peter and John would have been, you know what, yeah, this is cool. Yep, we want to have church right here. The problem is they had like 3,000 people join their church in one day, which is a lot to accommodate. They didn't begin worshiping in a temple. They didn't begin worshiping together as a church in a building or in a beautiful church home. They actually began worshiping and they came together in, in what we would look at as maybe like a tent city just on the outskirts of town. We have this amazing coffee shop that, that we're blessed to be able to come and worship here, but they are on the outskirts of town, and there's members, there's people, part of this church that are living together outside the walls, and they have come together. And I don't want you to think that, that this small church is only small because of Pentecost, because it's only in one town. It is. Imagine 3,000 people in one day. Like this room, this coffee shop holds, I don't know what the capacity is, 150 people maybe or so. 3,000 people would be blocks of people in this church right away. And in the first few weeks of existence, there's thousands more that have become part of this church. In those days, being a believer in Jesus Christ, it meant more than just showing up at church, saying a prayer, walking down an aisle, talking to a pastor, and then going home, turning on the ball game. Becoming a follower of Christ in the early church had an immediate and dramatic life impact. It was a life change. Some people didn't even go home. People at Pentecost said, come into the town 
from other areas and they had come in to celebrate, some of them became followers of Christ right then and they didn't go home. They stayed right there. It was a dramatic life impact because the believers started to come together. And it's not simply coming together on a Thursday night or on a Sunday morning. They started to do life together. If you were here last week, you know that our sermon series started with, with our title, Devotion. And we're looking at being devoted to Christ. When you're devoted to something in our faith, the very first thing needs to be our devotion to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All of the believers had something in common. What they had in common was their devotion to Jesus. It was so important. And I think it would be fair to say that you really can't call yourself a Christian if you are not devoted to Jesus. You have to be devoted. Number one in your faith, number one in your Christian walk is your devotion to Jesus. But devotion to Jesus, it came at a moment when the apostles were telling the story of Jesus when they were teaching the people. And when the people of the church heard about the saving power of the blood of Jesus, that's where their devotion to Christ came from that changed their life. Step number one, their life change brought them even more than they would have imagined. That's what happens when we change our life for Christ, when we become devoted to Christ. Step one, they would have they would have read the, the, the Torah or the Talmud. They would have been familiar with the, with the Jewish customs. And now their life is being elevated for Jesus. There was a time when the scribes and the Pharisees would look down on the people who were gathering. Because they hadn't seen anything like this. See, the gathering in the Jewish culture, it was, you were doing it because it was religion, because you were living in the city, because that's what you did. It was part of the culture. It was just part of life. When you come together for Jesus, it's not just part of life. It is life. And people were doing and starting to live life together. And what the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw that amazed them is people started to walk away from everything. They walked away from what they grew up with and they were grabbing some of their possessions in the city and they were heading out to the tents. They were going to live with the other Christians. They were going out to start living step two in their devotion. It sounds a little bit dramatic. You've got a nice hut in Jerusalem within the city walls and you're a follower of Christ now and eventually you're going to sell everything you have grab your kids and some clothes and you're going to go live with the Christians it is dramatic because devotion to Jesus is dramatic this morning I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 2 and we're going to continue in our series in a message this morning that I have titled, Doing Life Together. And we're going to start out in chapter 2, in verse number 42, just as we did last week, when Luke writes, in Acts 2.42, says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, the Greek word for fellowship, it's the Greek word koinonia. 
In this piece of scripture, we see it numerous times in the New Testament. And the use of this word, it's, it's to describe this intimate bond and relationship which unifies Christians through God and Jesus Christ. They're coming together. It's more than just simply a relationship. They're coming together because of a cause. They're coming together because of Jesus and as the early church formed, in, in even as early as the first day, the evening of Pentecost, which was Sunday, and then Monday, and then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, the church formed into something that they weren't a week ago. It's brand new, and Christ is bringing everyone together. They didn't have much, but what they did have was koinonia. Individually, they have a devotion to Christ. And now there's a devotion to fellowship. There's a devotion to each other. They're not showing up in an amazing cathedral, in an amazing place. They're going to be with other believers and live in tents. Verse number 45, we start to see the beginning attributes of the early church. And I want you to notice the pronouns here, okay? Pay attention. I want you to notice who is the subject of these verses. Acts 2, 45 through 47, it says, they sold their possessions and property and distributed all the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Did you see that? The pronouns they in verse number 45, they and together in verse number 46, and the Lord added to their number in verse number 47. Point number one on your notes this morning, this is so important. The entire Christian life is intended to be done in fellowship. These early Christians had an intense feeling of responsibility for one another. Once they were baptized in Acts chapter 2, many of the new believers, they felt a need for further instruction. The apostles were able to tell them all they knew about Jesus and tell them about the deeds of Christ and what he had done and the miracles and, and the fact that he is this, the Messiah that they have been waiting for. And the scripture said then that they continued in the fellowship. The early church was devoted to fellowship. This doesn't just mean associating with the apostles and associating with those who were teaching in this group. This word has a particular meaning in early Christianity. It included having goods in common. It meant having knowledge in common. Fellowship or koinonia was, was later understood by the believers to mean the breaking down of barriers between Jews and Gentiles. See, Jews and Gentiles are separated really by one thing, and that's religion, right? Koinonia breaks that down. It says now we're not separate because we're all brothers and sisters under Christ. That wall is broken down. It was to have everything in common. Acts chapter 2, verse number 32. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, 
And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Verse 34. For there was not a needy person among them, because all of those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds to, of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. Then this was distributed to each person as he had need. See, there is no true fellowship without the Spirit of Christ living in us. We don't have true fellowship. He, Jesus, is what these believers had in common. And he is greater than anyone else. He is greater than anyone in that entire group. He's greater than the 8,000 believers that came to Christ within a couple of weeks. They're coming with one reason. Because they're following Jesus and now they're following Jesus together. It's the way that the church was designed was to be in community, which was to live in Christ. I want to look at another example in the book of Matthew. You don't have to turn there. I'll read this to you. And we're all familiar with this one. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Remember that? You've heard that one, right? So if we're to take Matthew 18, verses 20, at face value, we're clearly going to understand what Jesus is saying. We don't do church alone. Our faith is built upon devotion to fellowship. He says, when two or three are gathered in my name. What he's not saying is when one person is watching church on YouTube in their bathrobe on a Sunday morning at home. Our salvation, yep, it's individual. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. No one can save the soul of anyone else. But as followers and of a church being devoted to fellowship, we're also responsible for building up our brothers and sisters in Christ. How will they know if no one is here to teach them? How will they know how to take the next step in their Christian walk if there's no one here to guide them? How will they understand what the Word of God says if there's no one here to lead them? How can a sister in Christ lean on another sister who has a gift of compassion when the sister with the gift decided to stay home on a Sunday morning when her gift is needed at the church? We see in the Bible that the early church came together for prayer, for meals, for work, support, and for learning God's word, for celebrations, and for sorrow. And they started with what they had with the people who were among them. But they didn't stop there. They continued to look forward. Fellowship in community builds the church. Without that fellowship, there is no church. There's individual people reading their Bible or watching a sermon together somewhere by themselves. Fellowship demands an unselfish attitude. It demands giving of oneself to the church, but it demands taking care of others. Taking care of others at the church because we have to give ourselves to others. I'm sure that the Apostle Paul would just turn over in his grave if you were to hear the amount of people who say on a Sunday morning, yeah, I just watch church at home. 
Yeah, I just get the live stream, so I don't even go down there anymore. Yeah, I go into the kitchen and I get some coffee and I sit down in my lounge chair just like I do all the nights of the week when I'm watching other stuff. I just sit down here in my chair and I just turn on church and I kick it. Imagine if people would have just turned on church and kicked it in Tent City. Imagine if they never left their homes in Jerusalem to come out. All they did was just sit in there, wait for the apostles to stream a video, and they just sat in their homes. Paul would just walk through the countryside, finding cities that he would come across. 10,000 miles Paul walked. He didn't walk to find individuals to tell them about Jesus. He walked to plant churches that can reach people in their communities to tell other people about Jesus. Paul walked to bring communities together and to start fellowships who could grow each other stronger and could bring people to Christ. Because Paul knew that the weakest link is the one that Satan's going to grab. In the animal kingdom, antelopes pursued by many, many other animals, and they've got like two strategies of defense. One is hide, the other is run. And so antelopes, they travel in large herds, and some of these herds, they come together specifically so that they could take care of their young. They put the young antelopes in the middle of the herd, and the whole herd will move together with the young, with the children on the inside. And it's this way for protection. Because the predators that are after the herd, these are predators who are very skilled in what they do. They have plenty of endurance. They have plenty of experience. They have plenty of speed. But the antelopes are going to use endurance because they can run and fellowship for safety. They keep each other in a tight bond to keep each other from being picked off by predators. That's fellowship. Because they're pursued by, by leopards and, and lions and hyenas and wild dogs and cheetahs and even pythons and huge birds are coming to prey on the children. See, those young animals, those young kids, those young antelopes, they can't defend themselves. Satan likes to come like a lion and go after the weakest link. And, and he'll come like a lion that's loud to distract us. Or he'll come like a hyena that's really fast to distract us. Or, or maybe a python, which is really slow and meticulous. And he'll grab our young. He'll take our young children our young Christians, those who are new in their faith, those who are weak in their faith, and he'll drag them out to where they're so far gone that they don't even know how to come back. Jesus can bring them back. But Satan preys on the weakest links among us. We have to watch out for predators. How do we watch out? Devotion to fellowship. We watch out by watching out for each other. In Ecclesiastes in chapter 4, 9 through 12, it reads, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their effort. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. 
Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. See, there's a reason why fellowship was one of the first traits that the early church solidified. Watch this, point number two in your notes. We need others and the church just as others and the church need us. I'm going to say that again. We need others and the church just as others and the church need us. And it's even more than just being together spiritually for each other. The church that formed in, in Jerusalem, they had responsibilities. There were jobs, there were service opportunities, there were probably welcome centers in Tent City. Could you imagine 3,000 people living in tents and somebody is coming down the hill from Jerusalem and they're coming with all of their, 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 their tent and their kids? There's probably somebody out there at the front of Tent City saying, welcome, believers, come. Let me help you. Come over here. Here's a great place to put up your tent right over here. As a matter of fact, let me get some of the guys to come over and help put the pegs into the ground. And right over here, over on that side, we serve dinner at six. Come on. There's people who were serving in the church, in the very first church. God created this system, this koinonia. It's the idea that we're all doing this for the same reason. And now we're serving in fellowship for the same reason. See, as God the Father and believers as faithful sons and daughters, as we come together as God's family to be governed under the love and the tenderness and the, and the compassion and the humility of, of the church, we see that this idea of a new man, of a new body, of a new family is coming together. It's not the man and the body and the family that we left. We left that in Jerusalem and we walked down into Tent City and we're part of a group of believers now. This is a new family. The Holy Spirit is all over this doctrine of togetherness and, and fellowship. It's not an individual organism of one person now. Now, it's an individual organism of fellowship. It's an individual group of believers that are doing life together. And since we're all part of the body of Christ, and since the church is made up of different parts, what happens when one part isn't at the church? If somebody is the hand, we're going to go back to the analogy. We've seen this in the Bible as well. We're all parts of the body, right? So if somebody is the hand, and if somebody is the foot, and if somebody is the, the knee, and those all have different parts, they all have different jobs and different responsibilities. And as we're doing life together within the body, what happens if the foot is not at church? What happens if the feet aren't part of the fellowship? Let me tell you what happens. If the foot is not operating, then the body can't move forward correctly, right? Because that's the transportation part of the church, right? 
Now, it doesn't mean that the church can't move forward. Let me tell you what happens. Almost like, does anyone remember uh, Voltron or Power Rangers? Anyone remember those? Okay, so if you're not familiar with Voltron or Power Rangers, what you had was you, you had these team member warrior people, warriors like fighting people, and they would be like individual robot guys or something. And then what would happen is that when they went to fight the big monster evil guy, all five or six of them would come together and they would form a much larger robot and they would work together against the forces of evil and the Power Ranger bad guys or whoever they were. But you would have all of these individual robot lion things. I don't know what they were. It's been a long time that would t come together. But watch this. If one of those members decided not to show up to Power Ranger warrior work that day, like this robot's going to tilt over, right? And not going to work properly. As our team of Christians works to move forward, if the feet don't show up, let me tell you what happens. The church will move forward, but now the church has to get on all fours. We can't walk, now we have to crawl. Crawling is not as much an effective way to get from point A to point B as walking, correct? So you can get there a lot more if you have your feet, but if you don't have your feet, the knees and the hands are going to go down on the ground, and now they're going to start being transportation mode. That means the knees, the knees, what they do, they're the connecting tissue. They're the connector joint between the big leg bone and the other big leg bone. But they can't do that now because they have to put down their work and become transportation. The hands, which are maybe they're the servers, maybe they're giving people, maybe they're helping, maybe that's their job. They have to put their work down to now become transportation. So you see, not only is the body not moving correctly, but those who are in roles that they're gifted with have to put down their work to actually take the work of the feet to move forward. That's not their job. They're really good at being a knee. They're really good at being hands. And I can promise you that our feet are really good at being feet. And we need our feet, amen? amen. We need our feet. And the church fellowship is so important because we're able to count on each other. We, we, we can't just come to, to church and be a sponge and scoot. You know what a sponge and scoot is? It's somebody who comes in and just sponges up a bunch of church stuff and then scoots out and just leaves. Like, yeah, I just, I came here, I listened, I sang, woohoo, yay me, go God, boom, and you're gone. The, I mean, there, there's large, large, large churches where you can hide so well and you can sponge and scoot really easy and no one's going to notice. Unfortunately, you're not in a church like that. I know everyone who is here because I see everyone who is here. And we know who's here. And we know who we can rely on. And we need each other to be able to move forward. Because you know what? There's about 25 of us here today. There's about 70,000 people in Paris who are not here today. And those are the ones we need to reach. Amen? Amen. And it takes an entire body to reach an entire city. There was a, a, a church group, a, a, a Sunday school class of fifth graders, and they would line up 
at Sunday school on Sunday mornings, and they would, they would each recite uh, part of the Apostles' Creed. You probably heard it. And, and so you would have one fifth grader that would stand up, and they would, she would say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then the second boy would stand up, and he would say his line. He said, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Son, the Lord. And then the third little boy would stand up. One Sunday morning, that third little boy, that seat was empty, and it was quiet. The, the first little girl got up and said her part, and the second little boy said his part, and then the entire class starts looking around. Finally, that first little girl raised her hand. She says, I'm sorry, teacher, but um, the boy who believes in the Holy Spirit, he's not here today. <laughs> he's, he's not here. That's what happens, though, right? That's his job. In their case, apparently he's the only one that believes in the Holy Spirit, but he's not, he's, he's not, he wasn't there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 9, it says, God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Watch this in Malachi chapter 3, verse number 16. It says, at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. It goes back. Paul writes about it. Old Testament writes about it. Our faith is to be done in fellowship. Here's the application. Devotion to fellowship demands a deep love for one another within our church. Daily the believers met together in Jerusalem. And so profound was their sense of togetherness that they considered everyone brethren. They considered everyone now brothers and sisters. We, we see in a couple of chapters that they start selling the stuff. Like they owned homes in Jerusalem. They owned huts up there or whatever they lived in. But we'll start to see later in Acts that they literally are going to put, they're going to like hire a realtor with a big hot air balloon who's going to come over. They're going to dress it up really nice, have people come in for the open. They're going to sell their home to live in the tents with the believers. What they had became part of the entire community because living for Jesus in fellowship with others was their devotion. Scripture lays down the basis of fellowship. I'm in 1 John. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. 1 John 1, chapters, or verses 6 and 7. John writes, If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying, and we're not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, it's more than just taking care of the needs of one another, and it's more than simply being there for the church that, to, to give our gifts back to the Lord. It's more than that. Watch this, point number three in your notes this morning. Devotion to Christian fellowship keeps us on the right path. We've talked about how it, it keeps us safe, but it, it keeps us on the right path. There are so many opportunities in this world to stray away from Jesus. 
There's so many opportunities for us to crawl up in a ball in our room and just be comfortable in a congregation of one. But the fellowship of other believers in our life is, to put, is put in place to keep us honest. This fellowship is to keep us accountable. It's to keep us safe. It's to keep us living in Christ. There's so many things that can go wrong when we're by ourselves. Amen? That's not a safe place to be. That's why we need each other. We never, in the entire Bible, in the entire life of Christ, we never see Jesus walking the countryside by himself. We know he's out in the desert at one point, by himself. But we never read the story of Jesus and the no apostles, or Jesus and the no disciples. One night only, Jesus starring himself. He's with others, and the others are with him for a reason. They are there because they're learning. They're there because they're, he's keeping them safe. He's keeping them out of trouble. He's keeping them in fellowship. Christians are to look out for other Christians. We're to look out for each other. It's this fellowship of Christians that keeps us from going down the wrong road. When we have somebody's phone number, and we know that we're coming up on a time in our lives where we struggle. We may struggle with our addiction. We might struggle with our hang-ups. We might struggle with the fact that the situation's coming up and I know that I can't get through this on my own. And we can pick up the phone and we can call a brother or sister and say, you know what? I love you, I need help. Can you talk to me for a few minutes? Can you help me through this? That's what our fellowship is for. As humans, we naturally look for an embrace. We naturally look for love of other people and for comfort. And I'll tell you what, this world will give it to you. And sometimes this world will give it to you absolutely free of charge but it's not free of consequence. What the world gives you to fill those needs is something that can certainly leave you feeling empty because it's not going to be there for you when it doesn't need you anymore. The neighborhood bar on the corner in any town is probably one of the best counterfeits for the fellowship in the Christian life that there ever is. The bar, it's this, this imitation of life with, with Christ. The, the bar dispenses liquor and, and not grace and, and escape but not reality. And, and it's permissive and, and, and accepting and inclusive of, of fellowship of anyone. And the local bar is actually, it's, it's unshockable. It's democratic. You can tell people secrets at the bar and chances are they're not going to tell anyone. They're just, uh, they'll just listen. It's a place that you can go and just dump. God has put in the human heart a desire to know and to be known and to love and to be loved. And so many people seek a counterfeit to fill those voids. 
Jesus put the church in place to fill that void for believers in Jesus Christ. If we are not that place for believers, the world will provide that place. And if we're not protecting each other inside the church, the world will snatch those on the outskirts. They will find the slowest gazelle. I believe that Christ wants his church to be unshockable. That when people walk in the door and they're broken, and people walk in the door and they have needs and they struggle with, with what to do in life and, and, and they just they say, I'm, I'm beat and I'm sunk and I've had it. I believe the church is the place where God wants them to be and to be accepting and to be a place of fellowship because if we take those needs to the world, the world is going to fill those needs with its filth. But when we take those needs to a fellowship and we take those needs to Jesus, he's going to fill them with joy. He's going to fill them with grace. He's going to fill them with forgiveness. He's going to fill them with love. And if those in the church who are the hands that are handing out the grace from the church, if they're not showing up, if they're not here, it slows down the process. And there could be somebody walking in the door who needs that and has been given the gift to talk to somebody who's coming in broken. That's part of the body. That can actually be somebody who has the part of the mouth, somebody who has the heart of compassion. Everybody needs a heart of compassion, amen? In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 17, it says, Don't you know that your bodies are a part of the Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one. But anyone joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible reads, What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is nothing or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that when they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup, watch this, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. It means we've got to be careful of those once we walk out the doors, once we go back into our lives. And that influence of the world is part of our work life. That influence of the world is part of our social life. It's part of our social media. It's part of our family. Those influences start coming in as soon as we walk out this building. The Bible's telling us, you, I don't... I don't want you associating with both. I want you where you're safe, and you're safe in my fellowship. As members of the family of God, we have to watch out. Spiritual warfare is plaguing our brothers 
and sisters in Christ, being here, being in church, being in Bible study, being in community with other people, being in, in communication during the week, being in Christ with each other, and being of common goals, being of love and affection for each other is koinonia. It is fellowship. It is the church that Jesus built. It is the focus of our devotion after we've come to Christ. Now we need to come and take care of each other. The early church moved like a pack of antelopes, protecting each other from the spiritual predators. But not only realize that they were taking care of each other, but at the same time they were keeping themselves pure, they were keeping themselves clean, they were keeping themselves separated from the world because of their fellowship. Church attendance is one of the most studied statistics in all of the evangelical world. Lifeway Research, you've heard of Lifeway Christian Stores? Lifeway is a rather large organization. They have an entire research arm. And they recently pointed out some facts that I want you to understand, I want you to hear, and we're going to close with this. Because these facts are going to show the tie between the deterioration of church attendance and the increase in spiritual warfare that people who used to go to church that they're having to deal with now because they're outside the herd. They're outside the fellowship. The devil is winning in our country, in our city, because attenders are not showing up. They're not in the pack. Research shows that about 20 years ago, to be considered an active member of a church, you would show up to church about three times a week. Three times a week, and you're considered an active member. Nowadays, people are considered an active member if they show up to church three times a month. That means you're only going to Sunday service, and at least once a month, you're kicking it on YouTube if, if you want to. These aren't fringe people who were just kind of coming. These were regular attenders who have gone to being in the fellowship three times a week, which is 12 to 15 times a month, to only three times a month total. In 1992, 22% of people said they were actively going to church in America. Now that number is shocking from a Christian perspective that we say only 22%. There's so much work. This is in 1992. In 1995, it's dropped to 20.5%. In 1999, only 19% of Americans are going to church on a regular basis. In 2002, 18% of Americans are going to church on a regular basis. In 2025, it's estimated that that number is going to drop to 15%. In 2050, it's expected to drop to 11%. Soon, we're going to catch up with Europe. You know what Europe's numbers are right now? 
in general church attendance? 3%. And that's common. Ladies and gentlemen, this series of messages is so important. Our devotion must start with a devotion to Christ. And then we come together in fellowship with each other because we have one thing in common so that we can take care of each other, so that we can protect each other, so we ourselves can be protected. I'm going to beg. I beg of you, don't show up here on Sunday mornings to listen to me talk for 40 minutes. I want you to look around the room and I want you to see the others here in this room that are depending on you. I want you to see the others in this room who show up and just the fact that you talk to them for a couple of minutes might be the moment that they need. Somebody in this room might be the person that you've been looking to talk to all week and share something with because the Lord's placed something on your heart. And when that person's not here, there's a gift that God gave them and there's a gift that God gave you and we can't use our gifts for the kingdom if we're not here, amen? I also want you to think about as you drive home today and you pass the homes, you pass the businesses, you pass the communities that you go past to get home, I want you to imagine the families that are inside those homes. People that as a church we want to reach and I want you to think about the people who are not here yet and the gifts that God has given us to be a part of this body and what we're doing to serve others who are not even here yet Christians who are not even saved yet brothers and sisters who are in this city looking for hope they're in this city begging for somebody to save them We've got a job to do, and we do our work in fellowship. Our entire Christian life is meant to be done together. It is meant to be lived in packs, in a group, in a small group, in a Sunday school, at the dinner table, breaking bread together, praying with each other, knowing each other. Christians need to be Christians' best friends. Devotion to our fellowship, it keeps us on the right path. It keeps us learning. There's some things that we need to learn from others and we can't learn at home. We can't learn when we're not here. And I can't think of a more important place that we need to be on a Sunday morning than right here in church. And I can't think of a more important body of friends and family that through the week that we need to have compassion for and love for and fellowship with than brothers and sisters in Christ.